Good morning, Berean family. I'm Brother Lynn Trail, a pastor in residence here, and it's my privilege to bring the word to you this morning. As you've been tracking with us, we are in a series in 1 Corinthians. This morning we'll cover chapter 12. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. The title of this message is One Body Diversely Gifted. One Body Diversely Gifted. I would like to pray to begin the message. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for this morning, the opportunity to worship you as a body, one body unified under the banner of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, we thank you for how you are working in our midst. And I pray this morning that your people will leave here energized and ready to continue to serve you as you have gifted them and called them to this great commission of being disciples who make disciples. Father, be with me, and as I seek to teach and preach your word, you know me, and you know how dependent I am upon you. And be with my brothers and sisters as they listen. Um, help them to remain focused and not be distracted, and even open up their heart to receive your truth. And Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to also greet those watching online. Thanks for tuning in with us. If you have your Bible, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll read the first seven verses to get us started. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And no one says Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Lord. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. I'm sorry. But the, verse 5. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There is a danger in not viewing the church correctly. There is a danger in seeing the church as an event ran by officials on the stage. It is dangerous to see this as an event ran by officials on the stage. It's dangerous and it is a lie to believe the people up front are spiritual superstars or the spiritually elite that keep the church going. One danger in seeing the church this way is that you can start comparing yourself with people you see up front. And you can, start be, you can begin to feel insignificant when you compare maybe your gift to the people you see on stage. You can feel insignificant. Or, or maybe you feel like your gift is not as useful as theirs that you see up front. Or let's be honest, in a church our size, it is easy to feel invisible or unnoticed. Maybe some of you come here, have come here this morning and you feel that way. Like no one even notices that I'm here. If I wasn't here, it wouldn't even matter. I think it's important to notice that this is a deception, it's a lie, it's a danger to see church this way, as an event just led by the spiritually elite. 
for a few reasons, but it's mainly dangerous because if you're not important, if you're insignificant, you can check out. You can check out. You can, it doesn't matter if you're here or not. And so it's so important for us to know the truth about the church. The church is a living organism. It is the body of Christ. And every member has been gifted by Christ. Every member of the body has been supernaturally gifted, and it is important to the body. Every member. You are important to what God is doing here. You are, have been gifted by God, and you are called to contribute to the mission of Christ. The church cannot function, and it certainly cannot mature unless every person who has been gifted by God properly and faithfully uses their gift. And so this morning, I want to challenge you, God's people. I want to challenge you to, to avoid the error, to be on guard against the error of feeling inferior or superior or indifferent about spiritual gifts. I'm going to break that apart real quick. I don't want anyone leaving here feeling inferior as if you don't matter or as if, or as if you're invisible because God has gifted you and you are valuable to what God is doing here. And I, would, and I don't think anyone would leave here feeling superior, but just to be clear, I would hate for anyone to leave here thinking that my gift is mighty and the church needs me. No one should leave here feeling superior and no one should leave here this morning feeling indifferent as if spiritual gifts are not important because they are. Spiritual gifts are important. And here's the big idea of the message. We are diversely gifted for our good and for Christ's glory. God has diversely gifted his body for our good and Christ's glory. And I, and I need to give you a little bit more um, context, a little bit more introduction before we get into the text, because context is going to be so important for us to understand what Paul is actually saying to the Corinthians here. It seemed like issue after issue, the Corinthians, they could not break away from their old way of life. They struggled. They struggled so hard to, to break away from their, the world. And although Paul says in chapter 1, verse 7, that they were spiritually rich and lacked no gift, they misunderstood the gifts and they irresponsibly used the gifts. And it seemed like there was division in the, in the church in Corinth because some people were exalting the gifts and certain gifts above others. One gift that it seemed like they were exalting was the gift of tongues. And, and it seemed like they related it back to an old pagan practice called ecstasy, which in the pagan religion was the highest religious expression you can have. So it seemed like the Corinthians were relating the gift of tongues to that old pagan expression and elevating that gift above the others. And so you can imagine what that did for the church. It made some who had that gift feel superior, and it made others who lacked the gift feel inferior. The division seemed to go even deeper where those who had these gifts that were being elevated, they were saying that if you didn't have these gifts, you're not a believer at all. And so the division was deep. The problem was real. And thank God that Paul addressed the church and he's spoken to a number of the issues they were having. And the first thing we're going to see Paul do is qualify the work of the Spirit. Look in verse 1 and 3 again. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul is being very intentional, intentional in these first three verses. And he's establishing the key evidence, the key way to authenticate the Spirit's work. And he says this, whenever you see someone surrender and confess the biblical Jesus as Lord, that's, that's the Spirit working. You can identify the Spirit's activity by someone's confession and surrender to the biblical Jesus. And I'm saying biblical Jesus because it's so important to preference that. Many people kind of make Jesus out into their own image or make the Jesus that they want to have. But the Jesus of the Bible is Lord, and he's the one that must be surrendered to if we're looking for that evidence of the Spirit's work. The Jesus of the Bible is the Son of God who took on flesh and came to earth and lived a perfect life and died a terrible death to save sinners. The Jesus of the Bible didn't stay in the grave, but he rose three days later, exalted, victorious over sin in the grave. And he ascended back to glory to where he had come from, his father's right hand, and he sat down. And the biblical Jesus is coming again. And so the biblical Jesus is the one who believers submit to and surrender to. And it's this confession of him as Lord that marks the work of the Spirit. And it's again, and we want to preface this. We want to think about this. What does it mean to confess Jesus as Lord? Because my three-year-old son can do that. He can say out of his mouth, Jesus is Lord. But it's not just a confession. It's the submission to Jesus. If Jesus is your Lord, he is in control of your life. You are his servant, and he is ruling your life. He dictates what you do and why you do it. And this was so important for Paul to establish in a church that wanted to exalt gifts as the distinguishing mark of the Spirit. He says, no, gifts don't distinguish the Spirit's work. This confession and submission to Jesus as Lord distinguishes the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to exalt Jesus, not man or gifts. And Jesus forewarned us of this. He told us that when the Spirit will come, he would do what? Glorify me. And that's exactly what the Spirit does. So no one in the Corinthian church should feel superior because the only one superior in the church is Jesus Christ himself. Before I move on to this point, it is important to kind of press into this truth that Jesus is Lord. Can you say that this morning? I mean, those watching online, have you submitted to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Are you following him as your Lord? Have you turned from your sins and trusted in him as your Savior? You, you might say, well, I don't know about this Jesus thing. Well, well, let me say this. How many masters you know who gave their life for their servants? That's what Jesus did. Him, Jesus God, the, the second person of the Trinity, came to earth and died for his people, for those who would trust in him. He gave his life for his servants, and he calls you, even now, to come to him, to leave your sins and trust in him. 
and this is so important, nothing is more important than salvation. And Paul makes this point that we distinguish the Spirit's work by confession and submission to Jesus as Lord. However, Jesus does work through his body, and he has gifted his body to continue his mission. He has empowered his body by giving the body his spirit, and they have supernatural abilities from the spirit to express Jesus' love to fulfill Jesus' mission. Look at verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in every one. Paul is going to explain how the church is gifted diversely, yet unified. And he does this by first giving us an example of what that looks like. You try to picture. It's diverse and yet it is unified. And so an example of that is Trinity, uh, it's God's self. God is a perfect example of diverse unity. Well, how? Well, God is one, one in essence, one in attributes, and yet he exists eternally as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The members of the Trinity are distinct. The Son is not the Father, and the the Spirit is not the Son. They're distinct in their persons, and yet they are unified. They are one in essence, one, co-equal, co-eternal. And so in the Trinity, you have this diversity and yet unity. And this is a perfect example of what Paul wants to paint for the picture of the church. The Godhead is unified in everything they do. You never see the members of the Trinity competing against one another. They perfectly carry out the same purpose. And Paul says, so does the church. There's various gifts in the church, but they are not to compete against one another. They're not undermining one another. They all serve the same purpose. Well, what is that purpose? Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God has diversely given gifts to his body for the common good of the body, that the body may be built up, that the body might become mature, that the body might be a blessing. And and I don't think this is it. I think it's for our good, but I think Peter has something to say about this as well, why God has diversely gifted his church. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified. You see that? God has diversely gifted his body for what? For his glory. And that's why we have the big idea this morning that the body of Christ is diversely gifted for our good and for Christ's glory. God has done a marvelous thing in gifting his body, his people in diverse ways. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Think of the Cleveland Browns who are going to win the Super Bowl this coming year. That's, that's the gift of prophecy working right now before you're uh, 
But think of the Cleveland Browns who, are, who, who, as they prepare for this coming season, they will divide up into different camps along the positions of the team. The running backs will train with the running backs. The linemen will train with the linemen. My wife is like, I have no idea about this illustration at all. But they divide up into different camps according to their position. And it's actually a blessing for the team that the running backs don't train like the, the linemen do. It actually helps them to key in. Each group even has their own coach to, to specify the diverse areas of training. But no one would say the Browns are, are disunified because they split up. It's actually helping the body. And when they come together on game day, what are they? They're one team, straining for one goal. And, and that's the same for the body of Christ. We are diverse in our gifting, but it's for one common good, the good of the body and the glory of God. What are the gifts? Paul mentions some here. It's, it's apparent that this list is not exhaustive. There are other gifts that could be mentioned here. Notice in verse 8 through 10. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, I'm not going to go um, and define each one of these gifts for a number of reasons. One is because time just won't allow me to really dive into defining these gifts in a justified way and yet still get through the rest of this text. I think the definition of these gifts are very important, and yet time will not allow me to do it. Another reason why I don't want to define these gifts, at least not now, is because I don't think it really makes a difference, the actual definition of each gift, I don't think it makes a difference to the point Paul is making. Paul's point is we are a diverse body. We have been diversely gifted by a sovereign God. That's his point. And I don't think the definition plays a, a big part in the meaning of the text. I will say this about the gifts. I've already said it. They are important. They are important. And every believer has at least one spiritual gift, at least one spiritual gift. At the moment of conversion, every believer was gifted with a spiritual gift. And I will say this, it is important and you are somewhat responsible for knowing your spiritual gift. You are responsible for figuring out how God has gifted you. And I want to give you quickly five principles, five thoughts to consider as you search out what your spiritual gift is. Maybe some of you know what your spiritual gift is. Maybe some of you are like, I, I, I grew up in a church where gifts were abused, so I have really kind of distanced myself from spiritual gifts. And so it's important for you to know if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has gifted you. And this is, this is a process that you can use, principles you, you should think about as you search out your gift. First, number one, it should be initiated by prayer. Initiated by prayer. Do you think this is a prayer the Heavenly Father wants to answer? Is as you, as his child, come to him and say, Father, I want to know how you have gifted me. 
It should be initiated by prayer. I think absolutely this is a prayer that God wants to answer. Second, secondly, it should be enlightened by study. Enlightened by study. As you seek to understand how God has gifted you, it's important to get into the scriptures and see what God has said about the spiritual gifts. And it's very easy to kind of remember where the gift passages are because there's two twelves and two fours. Two twelves and two fours. First Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. So two twelves and two fours are the texts that actually speak about spiritual gifts. And so let your study or let your understanding of the gifts be enlightened by study. The scriptures speak very clearly at times about the spiritual gifts. and We want to be enlightened by the scripture. Number three, know that it is indicated by desire. Indicated by desire. God hasn't given you a gift that you will begrudgingly carry out. Does that make sense? I believe God has given me the gift of teaching, and no one had to pull me on stage in to make me do it. It's my passion. I love to do it. And so your gift as well will be um, indicated by desire. Indicated by desire. Number four, it will be accompanied by blessing. Accompanied by blessing. If you're operating in your gift, right, if you're in your sweet spot, it's going to not only just be a blessing to you, but it's going to be a blessing to others. Your, your gift will be accompanied by blessing. And fifthly and lastly, it will be confirmed by others. Confirmed by others. Just immediately, the person that comes to my mind is our dear sister Nancy Krieger. There's no doubt that she has the gift of hospitality. When you see her, how she greets, her joy, you know that's her gift. And oftentimes, if you want to know what your spiritual gift is, listen to how people commend you or compliment you. Sometimes they're identifying God's grace in your life. So study, get into these gifts, pray about them, know that they would be indicated by desire, accompanied by blessing, and confirmed by others. The main point, and I think it's really important in this section that Paul is making, is in verse 11. Look there with me. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit. So all those gifts we just talked about, right? All those gifts are empowered by the same spirit who apportions to each individual as he wills. I think that's the mo one of the most important parts in this whole section. Paul is making the point that we have been diversely gifted by the sovereign spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And we know that God works, God the Trinity works in a unique way in the body, but it is specifically attributed to the spirit who distributes the gifts. And the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts as he wills. It's a sovereign choice. Sovereign just means he does as he pleases. He has gifted you as he pleased or as, he ple as it pleased him. The Spirit has sovereignly distributed the gifts. Why is that important? And how does that weigh in on the issue in Corinth? It's important because the way you are gifted does not depend on you or it doesn't indicate your spirituality. It only indicates the Spirit's wise and sovereign choice. It cuts the legs under, underneath from anybody to boast about their spiritual gift. Oh, yeah, I got the gift of, of serving. You can't boast. 
Why? Because it was a sovereign gift graciously given to you. Hear what Paul says to the Romans in chapter 12, verses 4 to 6. For as in one body we were many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us each use them. You see that? It is by grace that we have been gifted. There's no reason to boast. Neither is there a reason to pout. Neither, neither is there a reason to pout. You can't look at God and say, hey, you gave me the gift of teaching. I don't want to teach. I don't like that. You messed up. You can't say that. In wisdom, God has gifted us. There's no reason to boast, and there's no reason to pout. However, there were people in the church of Corinth who were pouting and who were boasting. They felt inferior when they didn't have what was called the, 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 the showier gifts, or they felt superior if they did have those gifts. And so Paul will go on to illustrate this diverse unity. That's the second point. The church is a body that illustrating diverse unity. Notice what he says in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into the body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all, to made, we were all made to drink of one spirit. I won't spend long on this section, but I think it's important what Paul is saying. He's going to use the illustration of an actual body to, to describe and paint the picture of us, the church. And when he says that we are members of the same body, I don't think we feel the weight of the importance of this statement. When he says you are members of the body of Christ, think of limbs and organs. You are limbs and organs of the body. How many of you are ready to lose a, a limb, a pinky, or an arm, or a foot? That changes the weight of the importance of the members when you think about it that way, doesn't it? Each member, each limb, each organ. He's speaking of the importance of every person in the body. The body, every member is important. So Paul will go on to correct those who feel inferior. Correct those who feel inferior. Notice in verse 14 to 17. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And notice here, the, the, the member feels inferior. Notice what he's saying. I'm, I'm only a foot. I'm not a hand. He feels inferior. Paul says, no, that doesn't make you any less part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body, this is important, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? You get Paul's point. He's saying every member is important, and it is irrational to think otherwise. It's irrational to think otherwise. Every member is important and gifted specifically by God in his wisdom and his grace. Notice verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them 
as he chose. If, we're, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. God has perfectly placed us in the body. Paul would go on to correct those who felt superior, right? He just dealt with those who felt inferior. He said, no, you're important. You're, you're necessary. Notice what he says now in verse 21 and following. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. You see that? The eye, the eye is representing the one who feels superior. I don't need you. He said, no, I can't say that to the body. Nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. You see that? He's saying that each member is necessary. And this is so important. No one is so gifted that they don't need the rest of the body. No one is so gifted that they don't need the other members of the body. We need one another. So Paul gives a reality check to those who feel superior. Lastly, he summarizes what he's already been saying in verses 27 and following. Know that you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has a portion in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles? And the answer is no, of course not. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts? You see what Paul is saying? We're one body. There's no competition here. We need one another. We function together. We are diversely gifted for our good and for God's glory. Diversity of gifts should not bring division, but unity, strength, power, harmony, and glory to God. Maybe there are some of you here this morning who have felt inferior. And maybe you need to repent of that. Maybe you felt like you're not significant, you don't, you're not valuable, you don't play a role in the church. God's word says you do. God's word says you do. Maybe some of you have felt discontent with your gift. Or maybe indifferent to the gifts in general. You don't even think about your spiritual gift. God, God's word calls us all to, to, to meditate in our hearts the importance of being gifted by him and the part we play in the body. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for gifting your people, giving us grace gifts, gifts undeserved that we may serve you that we may build one another up, that we may become mature and give you much glory. Father, let us as a church work together in diverse unity. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.